am a born again motorcyclist. Happened to me a few years ago, kind of midlife crisis things. But um, I had this belief that the only way to ride a Harley was like this. Feedback, no helmet, wind in your face, jeans perhaps, t-shirt, that's it. And many, I had many people say to me, look Paul, you're crazy, it's dangerous. If something happens to you, you're not protected. In one ear, out the other. Then one day I'm, uh, I'm having lunch with a few people in a class and a few of the reps. And this is a new hire class, so these are all new. We're just getting to know one another. And one of the guys, he's a German rep, was talking about work experience, a summer job that he had. And he worked, he used to, he, he was sh rode shotgun on this, I don't know what you call it in the States, but it's a like a highway pickup van. So if there's an accident, they come out and they pick up the remains of the, the cars or whatever's on the road and, and they take them away to be repaired or scrapped. And he worked on this and he was telling me that the, he hated coming out to accidents, road, road traffic accidents, but the ones he hated the most were motorcycle accidents. And the motorcycle accidents he hated the most were the ones where the rider was only wearing jeans. And he described how the sound, the screams he would hear when the medics would come to the rider who had come off his bike, skeeted along the road, and the friction of his jeans skeeted along the road would burn the denim into his flesh. And he said the screams of pain and agony as they would, the medics, when they were tearing off the jeans, that lumps of flesh would come off because the jeans were burnt into their skin. And as I listened to this story, something weird happened. My attitude changed. How often do you think after hearing that story, I rode my bike again without protective gear? And that's the thing about stories. They, change, they, they can change our attitudes. And as a result of that, can change our behavior. Now, you and I, we're kind of in a similar business here. We're all about getting people to change their behavior. And so that's one of the really important aspects of stories. For example, when people were telling me, look, it's dangerous, Paul, don't do it. As I said, it was just in one ear and out the other, not paying attention. How many of you ever had that experience with your reps where you're trying to get them to change their behavior and there's nothing happening, it's just in one ear and out the other? Maybe a story is the right thing to have. The right story. Now, that's not the only application for stories. There are many, many others. And teaching, which is one of the key roles of any manager, teaching our reps, helping them grow, helping them see the world differently is one of our key tasks. And for example, let's imagine that you, whether it was an individual in your team or just your team, as a group, you wanted them, for example, to take on board the lesson that they should seize the day and not procrastinate, that if you do procrastinate, often the opportunity disappears. Now, you can tell them that, and you can tell it to them again and again, but what happens? Probably nothing. Or you could tell them a story. For example, 
I was in New York, uh, it's a couple of Novembers ago, crisp, bright November morning. And I and my wife, we were coming from our hotel, which was about a five minute walk away from Penn Station. And the plan was we were taking a train from Penn Station down to Baltimore for a Sander conference. And as we round the corner, just there on 7th Avenue and 34th Street, I look up and all I can say in terms of just trying to describe this scene, it was the most magical thing I've ever seen. Down the far end of 7th Avenue is the moon and it's this giant yellow moon. Is, is, it's kind of sitting on the horizon. But over my shoulder, 180 degrees over here, the sun is coming up. And, and, and it, only as it can do in New York, it's reflecting off all of the, the glass and all these buildings. And it's just, the light is magical as that, that steam comes up from the vents in the street. It's just, it's ethereal, it's beyond description. And I look at this and I'm an amateur photographer and I have my gear with me on my back. And I said to my wife, I said, listen, honey, I, 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 got, I got to take this picture. And I go to take my bag off with my camera in it, my tripod and get set up. And she looks at me and it's one of those looks that you only, you'll know about if you're married, right? And you get that look and she's risk adverse and she's looking at her watch going, we're going to be late for the train, Paul. Come on, look, you can get your picture later. It's not important. You know, it's not important. Let's get in, let's get in line. And I'm there and I'm stuck between this and going, oh, I want that picture, but yeah, I'm, I, I, she who, be, who, who must be obeyed, right? And, and I have this idea. I go, I tell you what, I'll go with her. And it's literally one minute around the corner to Penn Station. You know where I'm talking about, right on that corner. One minute, I get her in line, right, for the train to get the tickets. And that'll take a few minutes. And while she's doing that, I'll nip back out and get the picture. So we go, she's in line. I said, I'll be back in a moment, honey. Don't move. And I, ru I run around the corner. Probably the whole round trip from, from going to Penn Station all the way back. No more than five minutes. And as I stand and I look up 7th Avenue, it's gone. The moon has just gone down below the horizon and the sun has come up just far enough where the whole light has changed. It's much brighter. The shadows have gone. That mystical sense, that feeling is just absolutely gone. And I remember sitting there going, if I had just seized the moment, if I would just taken that moment, I would have had that shot that I could have lived with forever. And all I have right now is regret. Don't be like that. Seize the day, take the moment. Now, I share that story with you as a way of illustrating how you can communicate to your reps, for example, a lesson that you learned, a teachable moment that you can share with them from your own experience that illustrates a key point, a key value message that they can listen to, insert themselves into, and then allow the emotion to carry it so that by the time you're finished the story, they go, I get it. Rather than having to try and persuade them with facts and logic, which we know doesn't work. We know that people buy emotionally and they'll only justify their decisions logically. It's the exactly the same when we're trying to get salespeople to change their behavior. They'll only move, they'll only change their attitude and change their behavior 
through emotion. And that's what stories do. They allow us to package, pack, package a message and logic wrapped, wrapped in emotion and delivered in consumable bite-sized chunks that people can engage with and slowly come to the same conclusions that you came through by resharing that story with them. Now, a couple of interesting things that I'd like to highlight about that story. One is, there is one element of that story which is not true. It wasn't actually my wife who's with me. It was my secretary, my PA, office manager, whatever you want to call her. And I started the story, we're coming from our hotel. Now, if I had told the story that was technically true and I said I was coming with my PA or my office manager from our hotel, now where's your mind? When I say my wife was with me, you pay no attention to that because it's fine because she's not the story. The story is in the lesson about procrastination. And so one of the key things in stories that we've got to do is not concern ourselves overly with what's technically true, but with the truth and the truth in that story is about avoiding procrastination or living with regret that's the message and that's the one thing you'll often find with people when they tell stories is that they go to nth levels of detail trying to recount all of the little aspects that most of them are really not important to the message that you want to deliver so that's one thing that's that's really important true is about the details only enough that you need in order to tell the story now Question here that comes up regularly is, well, how do you come up with relevant stories? Where do you find them? Well, there's a couple of places that you can look for. One, your own life. I would hazard a guess if you took a moment and I would encourage you to do this after we're finished today is to think about all of the pivotal moments in your life where something happened to you and you learned a lesson as a result. And then to Capture that story, capture the elements of it, the important bits, and then in sharing that stories with your reps, you can then bring them to the same conclusion that you achieved in going through that real life experience. So that's one place you can do, and we have tens of dozens, if not hundreds of those stories that are available to us. However, I don't want you to be limited by your own stories either. There's any number of other people's stories as well that you can tell, that you can find on places like speaking.com or ted.com, etc. For example, imagine with your team you want to communicate them to them the importance of gratitude, the importance of not taking for granted the people who support them in their everyday lives, whether that's work or in their own personal lives. You could tell them a story, doesn't have to be your own. For example, uh, has anybody ever heard of Charles Plum? No, well, most people haven't. Well, Charles Plum was a Navy jet pilot and he flew hundreds of combat missions and was shot down uh, over Vietnam, spent six years as a prisoner of war. Many years later, he was in a restaurant with his wife and this guy came over to him and he looked at him and he says, uh, you're, you're Charles Plum, right? The, 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 the Top Gun Navy pilot, right? And the guy looked at him. He didn't recognize him from Adam. He goes, yeah, yeah I, I am. Why? He says, I packed your parachute. And it, it only occurred to Plum at that moment that here he was flying all these missions, but 
the people who held his life in their hands were the people who operated below deck diligently every day packing parachutes that if they didn't do their job correctly he couldn't do his and he spent no time thinking about them until that moment and he realized that there are so many people in our lives that we depend on that we take for granted and we don't take time out we don't take a moment to thank them to show them appreciation to show them that we couldn't be what we are without their help so why don't we do that and again, I'm out of role play, out of, out of story, if you like. If you want to then communicate to people that gratitude is important and then that we should take time out to think about the legal people in our organizations, the customer support people in our organizations, the, the receptionists, the support staff, all of these people who make it possible for us to do our job, that we take time out to show them thanks and show them gratitude. You can suggest it as an idea, but it'll often go in one ear and out the other. But when you tell it as a story, it hits home because it's the emotion of the story allows them to feel it and go, I must do that. If nothing else, stories are more memorable. People will remember what you tell them as in a piece of information or what you show them in terms of PowerPoint, etc. They'll remember that for a couple of days, but only 10% will remember what you told them three more days later on. But 65% will remember what you shared with them when it's packaged in a story. So for no other reason than to make your messages last longer and more memorable, package them in a story. So that's another message I think that's important. So let's take a moment to kind of define what we mean by stories because that's the thing you'll often hear people say, well, you know, uh, I take photographs, I'm a storyteller, or I do video, I'm a storyteller, or somebody who will maybe down the pub likes to tell funny stories, comedians are storytellers. You go to um, cable news, whatever, it's, it's all about stories. Well, for us, what does it mean in a B2B context? Well, stories are real or imagined experiences told with just enough detail and emotion to cause the listener to experience or imagine them as real. So they're real or imagined experience told with just enough detail, no more, and emotion to allow the, your listener to experience them as real. So, couple of things I think are important before we wrap up today. One as a takeaway is develop a list of stories. Just make it a point of your day to pay attention to your everyday experiences and what are the lessons that those experiences teach you or refresh for you. And then take a note of those. Find a place. I use a mine. I use Evernote as a place when I go along and something happens to me and I go, I think there's a lesson in that. I think there's a teachable moment in that. And then I write down the outline of where I was, what happened to me, etc. Then I can share that when I'm in a class. I'll give you an, a, a, a for instance. I had a class yesterday morning, I believe. And was talking about budget and investment and I was sharing with them a structure. I'm sure Sean has done this with you before this uh, 
we call it civic svic and it's that transition from the pain step into the budget step and it's where you summarize you validate and you talk about the relative importance of addressing this issue and the prospects commitment to do something about it and as part of that i was sharing with them an example where you might say something to a prospect like on a scale of one to ten one is look it's important but given all the other important issues and things that I have on my plate, it's probably not going to happen. We're going to probably need to push it out six months. Ten has to, absolutely has to happen. Where are you? And we, we did that whole, what happens if they say a seven? What happens if it's less? What happens if they say it's a ten? And we got to that and I said, ten, everybody tells me that. Until they find out that it's going to cost a lot more than everybody else, that it's going to take time and that people have to invest their own time and their own efforts in making this happen. Can we talk about that now? And that was where we were in the class. And then one of the guys in the class puts his hand up and he says, Paul, he says, that's, a, that's dumb. That's, that's, that's stupid. Why would you do that? Why would you suggest to somebody that it's going to cost a lot? And we kind of got into this, not a fight, but I was trying to explain why it's important in terms of signaling. And he, he wasn't having any of it. He was immovable. And then I remembered, I need a story. And I shared a story with him. I shared the story of a guy I'd seen speak many years ago, Romal Pereira. He's a serial entrepreneur. And at this stage, he was on his third venture at this stage. And he was telling a story to this group. And I was just in the audience. And... He had founded this company back in the 80s. It was a, they sold this messaging platform. It was like a box that companies back in the 80s, you would sell it to a, to a big company that had maybe distributed team, uh, facilities people, delivery people, and you could send a message to their pager. So you could broadcast it. Most, you know, you remember what pagers were like. And they sold this for $20,000 equivalent. And they were very successful. And then what happened in the early 90s, the mobile phone, the digital mobile phone market took off and people were now, the, the market for SMS, for text messaging was really lucrative market. And there was companies selling their technology into network operators like AT&T and Verizon and they were making a fortune. And this guy was thinking, I already have a proven platform. Couldn't sell it to save his life to any of these network providers. No, they just, they looked at it and went, no, no thanks. Couldn't understand it. Got a consultant in. The consultant looked at what they were doing and said, I see the problem. I want you to add a zero to your price. What do you mean? Add a zero to your price. Not double it, add a zero. And they did. And they were so successful, their company launched on the NASDAQ not long after. All became multimillionaires, all of them. Now, why, why would a company be more than happy to spend $200,000 on a product where beforehand they were reluctant, not just reluctant, refused to spend $20,000? What is it about money? Let's just, I want to just spend a moment. I want you to imagine right now, you are my class that I had yesterday, right? And I've just told you that story. And I've asked you the question. And I said, what is it about it that people would be willing to spend 200,000 when they weren't willing to spend 20,000? What would you say? 
This is the interactive bit again. Say that again. It assigns value, exactly, yeah. It must be good if it's that expensive. Or conversely, if it's only $20,000 to a company like AT&T and Verizon who spend billions on infrastructure. $20,000 can't be any good. And I introduced the idea that money is a conceptual thing. It's our relationship with money and what it makes us assume, infer from the price. Like the... Uh, the, one of these fashion designers once said when somebody complained about her, the price of her dresses, really expensive, she said, of course they're expensive, darling. How else will people know they're premium? And when I introduced that story, you could just see his face go drop and he goes, I get it now. And that's my point about stories. They allow the listener to insert, them, insert themselves into the story, become part of it, as an observer and come with you on this journey there's a on this and I'm going to share with you in a moment that narrative structure of what it looks like to a point where when you're finished the story there's no resistance they go I get it and so when you're trying to get people to understand something where there is a barrier or a block that's also a great place to take out a story that allows them to slowly interpret and unveil the key message in the story. And then once it's their data, there's no resistance because people will protect their own data. Okay, I'd like to share with you before we finish up, just maybe a little structure around what stories, what, what are the key elements of a good story. And this is, we're gonna start with structure. And there are five key elements that I want to share with you. First one is, it's called in the beginning. Essentially all you're doing is you're sharing with people a situation and you're putting them in a time and a place. For example, I was in New York, it was November, my wife and I were making our way from our hotel to Penn Station, which was only five minutes away. That's, if you, if you, if you like, in the beginning, this is where we were, this was the situation. Then something happened, saw this scene, had to take the picture of it. Uh, this is where I just want to spend a moment on this because this, this element is absolutely vitally important to a story. It does not work unless this element is there. If I said to you, yesterday morning I got up, I had a shower, I went downstairs, I had breakfast, I came back up, got dressed. Uh, got on my bike, went to work, spent a day at work, did some emails, called some people, prepared for a class, came home, had dinner, watched a little bit of TV, chatted to my wife and went to bed. That's not a story. That's just a series of events. And the distinguishing feature between a series of events and a story is something happened. And that's the key thing. And the other example I gave you was uh, the the... The, the bike, the Harley, was, you know, I was one who believed the best way to ride a bike, jeans, t-shirt, that's it. Then something happened. I met this German guy. And then from that, as a result, because of that, I had a change of heart. I thought differently. Or if I go back to New York was, uh, I had the experience, the sun went down. Or sorry, the sun came up, the moon went down, right? 
because of that, and then because of that, I lost the moment. And as a result, I learned a valuable lesson that if you procrastinate, if you put off, if you don't seize the moment, you may well live with regret. And that's the structure of any good story that you want to tell. And finally, as I said, finding those stories, they're everywhere. You just have to look, take them down. What I would suggest just before I finish up on this is that it's always a good idea before you tell that story to write it out, whether you want to do it as a blog post or just your own notes in a journal, just to get the structure and the elements straight in your head. And then look at it and take out the elements that are not important or that are that could distract. There is nothing as nothing as awful as listening to somebody to telling a story that has all these elements that are just not important. My wife and I were coming from our hotel and we came down, uh, I think it was Sixth Avenue, and we passed by this store where they were selling coffee and then we crossed the road and you're going, when is this story going to end, right? So that's going to be important as well. So I would suggest people just to, just to write them out and make sure you've got it. And then you've got it and you start to build your library of stories. And once you've got your library of stories, you've got a bank of influence. We're done. <laughs>